to Muse Kids. I'm Rose and I'm Zara and together we're presenting this weekly podcast about what's going on in our world today. Each week we cover top stories across world news, politics, science, technology, entertainment and arts. This week our main stories are about the 30th anniversary of Nelson Mandela's release from prison and all about the history and meaning of Valentine's Day. We also talk about the continued spread of the coronavirus, why the UAE is banning homework in government schools, sadly not ours, Boris Johnson's cabinet reshuffle, and we review the children's book, Equal to Everything, Judge Brenda and the Supreme Court. Hi, it's Rose here. Last week saw the anniversary of a very special moment in African history, as February 11th marked 30 years since the day Nelson Mandela was released from prison. So why was this important? Nelson Mandela was a prominent civil rights leader and fought against apartheid, a system where non-white citizens in South Africa were segregated from white people and did not have equal rights. He used a non-violent approach to raise awareness of apartheid and to try to get the government to abolish it. On 5th August 1962, Mandela was arrested and accused of plotting to overthrow the government. Two years later, he was given a life sentence. He refused to bend on his principles in order to be released and stated that he would die for his ideals. He wanted all people of all races to have equal rights in South Africa. He spent the next 27 years in prison, the majority at a very harsh prison called Robben Island. Well, 27 years in prison is a very long time. Well, I think you're right, Zara. You must have been very brave. His prison sentence raised awareness internationally about the anti-apartheid movement. And he was finally released through international pressure on February 11, 1990. Three years later, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the next year, he became South Africa's first black president. From 1994 until June 1999, President Mandela worked to bring about the transition from minority rule and apartheid to black majority rule. After retiring from active politics in 1999, he continued to be an important figure around the world as a symbol of peace and equality. The same year that he retired, he founded the Nelson Mandela Foundation, an organisation that works to this day to promote the principles of equality, freedom and peace. Nelson Mandela sadly died in December 2013, the year my brother was born, at the age of 95. Nelson's birthday, 18th July, is officially named Nelson Mandela Day. And every year on this day, people around the world honour his legacy by helping their communities and making the world a better place. Wow, he sounds like an amazing man. It's very interesting how he gets arrested, stays there for 27 years, and then three years later he wins the Nobel Peace Prize and then becomes South Africa's first black president. He really stood by what he believed in. He was a very principled man. So Zara, what is our next news story? Well, earlier this week, it was St. Valentine's Day. All across the world, people show their affection by sending cards, chocolates or flowers, all in the name of St. Valentine. Did you send or give any Valentine's cards or presents, Rose? 
No. Did you, Zara? Well, in fact, I did. I made a card for my sister at school as we were told that it does not have to be cards and gifts that girls or boys send to each other. You can also just send a Valentine card to someone you love, like a family member. Anyway, it made me wonder about how Valentine's Day started and who was Saint Valentine. Well, there are lots of stories about who he was. The most popular one is that he was a priest who served during the 3rd century in Rome. The emperor at that time, Claudius II, decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families, so he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine thought that this was very unfair, and he defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young couples in secret. When Valentine's actions were discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. Whilst in jail, awaiting his death sentence, Valentine sent the first Valentine greeting himself after he fell in love with a young girl, possibly his jailer's daughter. He sent her a letter signed, From your Valentine. That is the expression that we still use today. Some people believe that Valentine's Day is celebrated in the middle of February to commemorate the anniversary of Valentine's death or burial, and others claim that the Christian church placed it in the middle of February in an effort to Christianize the pagan celebration of Lubercalia. Lubercalia was a Roman fertility festival dedicated to the Roman god of agriculture and to Rome's founders, Romulus and Remus. According to legend, all the young women in the city would place their names in a big urn. The city's bachelors would then each choose a name and each bachelor would be paired for the year with his chosen woman. These matches often ended in marriage. The church wanted to turn this festival into a Christian celebration and use it to remember St. Valentine too. Over time, St. Valentine's name began to be used by people to express their feelings to people they love. Thank you, Zara, for that story. It was very interesting to see how St. Valentine really existed and how Valentine's Day isn't just for boys and girls. I'm glad we celebrate it each year. Whilst we're still here in the studio, have you been following the latest developments with the coronavirus, Zara? Well, I haven't actually, Rose. Have you? Yes, there were two big developments this week with regards to the virus. The first was that the World Health Organization has now given the disease a proper name, COVID-19. The chief executive of the WHO, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, told reporters in Geneva that CO stands for Corona, V for virus, and D for disease. Well, 19 was for the year, as the outbreak was first identified on 31st December. He said the name has been chosen to avoid references to a specific geographical location, animal species or group of people. In the past, diseases have been named things like Spanish flu or swine flu or Middle East respiratory syndrome. But those names that have associations with places or people or animals can create stigma around entire ethnic groups or regions. Scientists are still trying to discover the source of the virus, which is thought to have originated in bats and reached humans via other species such as snakes. 
The other big piece of news that emerged this week was that China changed its definition for diagnosing people with the disease, leading to an increase of around 5,000 reported cases, taking the total known infected to over 63,000 by 13th February. Since then, however, the number of new cases reported each day has been falling. Well, that sounds like very good news. Do you agree, Rose? I agree. Rose, do you want to know what the next story is? Oh, I do. Well, earlier this month, the Ministry of Education in the UAE announced the launch of the My Optimum Time Initiative. This is for all public schools in the UAE and it focuses on implementing measures to make sure that students are using their time in the best way during the school day. One of the big changes announced by the ministry as part of this is that people in government schools will no longer be assigned homework. This is to give children more time to play and enjoy with their families. The ministry also said that some lessons will be merged with no break so that lessons like Arabic, English, Math, Science and Design and Technology classes are 19 minutes each. There have been lots of mixed reactions to this. Some people think that homework is an important part of revision and are worried that children will not use the extra time effectively and some are glad that children will have more time for activities that they enjoy. This decision doesn't really affect us as we do not go to a public school. But do you think this is a good idea, Rose? I do, Zara. Like, physical education includes running around with the garden or in the park with your family. And some people say having fun with your family until your mind grows strong. So I really think this is a good idea chosen by the government. Although it might need a little more thinking through. What do you think? Well, I think people won't use their time effectively as instead of playing with their families, they'd probably just be on video games and their iPad. And I think that homework should be a bit enjoyable. Like for my science homework, I was told that I had to make a crystal. And it's still growing, but it was really fun making. Now, this is a bit of an old study. But did you know that in 2006, researchers at Duke University in the United States reviewed studies conducted on homework from 1987 to 2003 and found that some homework has a positive effect on students' achievement, while too much homework does not. Did you also know that the UAE is the first to put in place a no-homework nationwide policy? Countries like Finland and South Korea have acted on the issue too, but just by reducing the homework to two to three hours per week. So Zara, do you think banning homework is a good idea? Maybe not ban all homework, but maybe just have some homework. And probably not too challenging ones, because too much of a challenge can get your brain like, oh, what's the answer to this question? I need to work it out. And then your mind can start to worry about that, and worrying is not good. Well, Rose, I'd love to know what the next story is about. Could you tell me? Okay, so another interesting story this week was about the changes Boris Johnson has made to the team of senior people who work with him in the government. The team is called the Cabinet, and every so often, Prime Ministers are able to do a Cabinet reshuffle, which means they can fire some people 
and hire new people. This was the second reshuffle for Mr Johnson, who became Prime Minister last July after winning a Conservative leadership election. Big names to have left Cabinet on Thursday included Chancellor Sergeant Jevin, Attorney General Geoffrey Cox and Business Secretary Andrea Ledson. Everyone was very surprised that Sergeant Javid left and it was reported afterwards that Boris Johnson wanted Mr Javid to stay but not any of his advisers. Mr Javid wasn't very happy about that so he left. The makeup of the cabinet has also changed. The proportion of women in it has increased but the actual number has fallen from 8 to 7 because some positions were closed. The BBC also reported that members of the cabinet are more than 10 times more likely to have gone to a private school than members of the public. Apparently, in Theresa May's last cabinet, 70% had not been privately educated, whereas almost 70% of Mr Johnson's new cabinet had been to private schools and 50% went to either Oxford or Cambridge universities. And of the 26 cabinet members, only four are of black, Asian or minority ethnic backgrounds. What do you think about this, Sarah? Do you think it's a good or bad thing if most people in the cabinet went to private school and that are most are men and white? Well, I don't think it matters if they've gone to a private school or if they're men or if they're white. It just matters if they're talented. Right, Rose? I agree, Zara. I think we do need just the best people to work with Mr Johnson. Moving on, this week, Rose and I both read a book called Equal to Everything, Judge Brenda and the Supreme Court and is written by Afu Hirsch. This is a fiction book, but based on the life of Lady Hale, who was president of the Supreme Court of England and Wales. It is also about a little girl called Anna, who is from Richmond and Yorkshire. Anna visits the Supreme Court on a school trip, and she learns all about the work of the courts, and another little girl from the same town as her went on to become president of the Supreme Court. In the book, Emma is shown around the court by Lady Hale herself and she learns a lot about Lady Hale's life. Emma learns about some of the most interesting cases that Lady Hale has dealt with and how the law can be used for good and to protect us all. What do you think of this, Rose? I loved it. I thought um, it's actually sort of not fiction. It's based on true facts. And at the end, you can see a couple of pages with pictures of Lady Hill. My favourite part was when she had helped with the case men were paid more than women because that just shows how men get everything and women are working so hard and they get less. I had another favourite part. It was when Lady Hale told Emma and her friends about how she was one of the very few girls in her university and how she was the first president of the Supreme Court and, and then later on, more women started joining the Supreme Court and being judges. Yes, I agree, Zara, just like it says in this book. I can read it out to you if you like. Yes, please. I've seen women held back by unfairness in their lives and their careers. I was the first woman on this court and the only one for many years. I see things a bit differently and I'm not afraid to say if more girls become judges, the law will improve. 
along the way. It's written like a poem, doesn't it, Rose? Yes. Does it make you think about becoming a judge or entering the law? Not really, but it makes me think about Lady Hill and her actual life. She sounds like an amazing lady. I'd love to meet her one day. Speaking of that, my auntie did meet Lady Hale because she is a barrister. Wow. I really hope I can meet Lady Hale myself one day. That's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed our show and thank you for listening.